millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. You're listening to Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, and this week we're talking Bill and Ted Face the Music, as well as The New Mutants, and all the latest movie and trailer news. Let's get into it, dude. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Lee, as you said in the intro, we are finally here reviewing Bill and Ted face the music so exciting can i just make a confession Mm. and you have been on my case for you know almost 18 months since we've been doing this podcast that Mm -hmm. i had never seen the first two bill and ted movies until very very recently like i'm talking the last two months i still can't believe that but i've done it and now we've seen the third movie in the franchise and uh, yeah can't believe we're here talking about it. it's great so the third movie in this franchise revisits bill and ted as middle-aged dads still rocking out and trying to write the song that will fulfill their destiny and save the world but this time they're joined on the adventure by their helpful daughters played by samara weaving and bridget lundy Payne, mm-hmm. which is a nice little addition i think complementing the bill and ted sort of tone of the movie. Yeah. It was directed by Dean Parasot, who has also directed Galaxy Quest, which is one of those favourite movies that I mm. watched growing up in the early noughties, and then also Fun with Dick and Jane, which starred Jim Carrey. Very similar in their tones to Bill and Ted. If you want to pick one word that encapsulates the work of the director is just fun. 
So, and Bill and Ted mm. Face the Music definitely plays in that space as well. And what's great is that the screenplay was written by Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon, who actually wrote the original film. So that's heartening to know they know what they're talking about with this franchise. Yeah, and they definitely came in with a certain love of the characters in the story and wanted to give it, you know, that sort of authentic flavour. I had such a great time in this film, can I say, straight off the bat. It was just so fun and heartwarming. I even got a little emotional towards the end. Yeah, yeah. It definitely was one of those films that I think is tonally something that we all just needed. We needed a fun, Mm. silly ride. And I think it certainly lent into the absolute chaotic energy that the first two Bill and Ted movies definitely leaned into. And they didn't tone it down at all for this movie. And Ultimately, at times, I found it funnier because you've got an adult Alex Winter and an adult Keanu Reeves reprising their (laughs) iconic roles of Bill and Ted, and they're just these lovable Mm. fools, but they just exude so much positive energy, Mm. and they're just there to try and do the right thing and do right by people, and this movie just... was just dripping in that sort of feeling. It was great. And they slipped back into the roles so well. I was really impressed. I thought this could come off really naff or ham-fisted if they're trying to play, you know, teenage... People use the word stoners or whatever, but they're not stoners. That's what's so great about them. They're just innocently buffoons, I guess. Yeah, and just so endearing. I think that's the best word to encapsulate Bill and Ted. Totally. they're, they're, They're stupid, but they're just there trying to learn the world, find their feet. And the funniest mm. thing about this movie is that they're, you know, middle-aged men and they're still trying to figure out how <laughs> to do and say the right thing. You know, there's mm-hmm. this great moment with their wives, who are the princesses, you know, that were introduced mm-hmm. in the first film. And they're just so connected. They see themselves as one person. And they think, <laughs> yes. they're, they think they're doing the right thing by their wives, but they just want, they want their bill, they want their Ted and have their marriages. But they mm. think their marriage is just Bill and Ted as one, and so their wives are one. It's just very funny. But their friendship is what makes this film. That's what I love about it. Their friendship's just enduring. Even when they maybe butt heads or disagree on something which rarely happens, they're still the best of friends. Absolutely. And I think maybe we could talk about the story because I think one thing Mm. about when you return to a franchise, what, 29 years later in this case, since Bogus Journey in 1990 or 91, Mm. you often find that the screenwriters pit the main characters against each other and maybe they've been distant and this movie Mm. kind of brings them together. But in Bill and Ted Face the Music, they're still best mates. Yeah. And they're in it together. They go on this extra excellent Bogus Journey together again. (laughs) And having, from my perspective, having only recently watched the first two, putting them side by side and I Mm felt like I was, yeah, back with Bill and Ted again, even though they looked a little bit more weathered than, say, their 90s self. (laughs) The story's a lot simpler Mm -hmm. than the other films, if that's even possible. I mean, that's what's great about these movies is that the story is always just simple. You know, they had to travel back in time to collect historical figures for a history project. This one, they need to travel all over time to write the song that'll save the world their daughters are also time traveling for their own reasons which we won't give away sure it's it's a simple concept but that's what's great about it i think i i agree because i found with bogus journey the sequel that the story was a bit convoluted and it kind of got lost because Mm. the simplicity and the charm of of the first movie was definitely understood in this third film and they're like okay we've got to make more of what we did the first time around and i agree Mm. the simplicity of it was much more effective Can we talk about one of the new characters that pops up in this one? We can't spoil him Uh too much, but there's a 
character called the robot, who also gets known as Dennis Caleb McCoy. Yeah. <laughs> the most ridiculous name for a robot. I laughed so hard. And Anthony Carrigan, who plays this character, did such a great job. Another element of his character was the costume design of the robot, Mm -hmm. which also makes you think more about the scope of this movie, the effects, the production design, everything was Mm. just upped a notch. And I almost Mm -hmm. think it almost looked too good because (laughs) having seen the 80s and 90s versions of the first two films, Mm. that the effects were 80s and 90s worth effects. You know, they were awful, but they have this charm 80s, you know, sheen to it. Mm. And this one, it was schmick and and really sleek. And I almost felt like that did the film a bit of a disservice. As aesthetically pleasing as it was, I thought, could we just bring a bit of the 80s charm back (laughs) into the effects? But I think, yeah, the character of the robot looked amazing. And I think that was Mm. something that was consistent throughout the whole look of the film. Speaking of the original films, William Sadler returns as Death, who was in Bogus Journey, another great addition. But we were missing George Carlin as Rufus, sadly, because he passed away in 2008. Mm. But they... There was a nice touch there, a nice addition of him in the form of a hologram, which I think was really lovely. Yeah, I think they treated that with the right respect and way that they possibly could because Rufus in the first two movies is really at the heart. So you couldn't really return to the world of Bill and Ted Mm. without bringing Rufus into the story in some way. So, yeah, I agree it was a nice, nice way of doing it. And how they've done that is by including Rufus's daughter called Kelly, who is actually George Carlin's daughter's name. Oh, well, there you go. So that was a nice little touch as well. This is the power of having the original screenwriters come in because they're so in Mm. tune with all these things and, you know, big fans of the movie get a kick out of those little nice nods. Mm. So let's talk about Samara Weaving and Bridget Lundy-Payne as Bill and Ted's daughters. I mean, we love Samara Weaving. We always talk about how great she is. She almost took a back seat to Bridget Lundy Payne, who was Keanu Reeves incarnate in this film. Absolutely. Yeah, they did such an amazing job to really hone in on Keanu's mannerisms and idiosyncrasies. Oh, so good. Yeah. It was a bit... uh, Did you find that at times you were kind of, am I looking at Bill and Ted? At moments, it was kind of like holding a mirror up to the original younger Mm. Bill and Ted characters. So they did a great job then, obviously. Yeah, I think so. There was one thing, the daughters, they were just there and I felt like I needed Mm. just a little bit more context or insight into who they were. They were kind of thrust into this journey with their fathers. I felt Mm. like they were just a little bit undercooked. What do you think? Yeah, I can see maybe they weren't woven in as well as they could have been Mm. until further towards the end. Yeah. yeah, I can see I can see what you mean there. Yeah, but they were pivotal to the story and they were a great little injection, especially adding a bit of youthful energy into the movie, despite Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves certainly giving a lot of mm. middle-aged energy to roles that uh, they hadn't played in 30 years. Can we talk about the overall message of the film, which we've touched on a little bit? I just loved how it was purely about friendship mm. and uniting the world and had this infectious optimism in it. And as you said, it's the movie we needed this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Obviously, Bill and Ted were out to bring the world together. 
And it was literally a movie that we need in terms of us as a race right now mm. needing to come together and support each other. And it plays into that infectious optimism you've brought about, the endearing mm. qualities of Bill and Ted as characters and what they're out there set to do. They've been given this responsibility that they take very seriously. They have no idea what they're mm-hmm. doing, but they just give it their <laughs> all. And somehow, you know, these things work out for them. And uh, yeah, it's just a joy to watch and quite moving. I think you saying you were um, quite emotional about it. Yeah, towards the end, I got a little bit emotional. And I also really enjoyed the positive relationship that they had with their daughters, that Mm. father-daughter dynamic. I think that was really nice. Yeah, there was no kind of real tension or father-daughter, I don't understand you. Like There was none of that. It was just positive wrapped up in a bow. Yeah, I see what you're saying. They were just supportive of Mm. their daughters and vice versa. Now, Lee, I'd like to ask you, as a fan of the series, Mm. having watched the films much earlier than I ever did, Mm -hmm. slash 2020, (laughs) how did you feel, like, what was your anticipation and ultimate feeling about being a big fan of this series and then having this third movie come about so many years later, like? Well, as I said, I was so excited and, I mean, this movie is all about fan service. And mm. while generally that can be a dangerous thing in some movies, as we've seen in, like, Star Wars and that kind of thing, I think it just works yeah. here. And the beauty of Bill and Ted is in not trying to be something that it's not. 100%. It knows what it's trying to say It and it has mm. fun doing it. And I think I mentioned before about its chaotic energy and things were just wild and some things worked some things didn't, but you almost don't care because it just yep. sweeps you up in this journey. And I think they did a really good job. How many popcorn kernels would you give Bill and Ted Face the Music? Well, I don't think this will come as a surprise, but I'm going <laughs> to give it four stars. Oh. And just like the characters, it doesn't have to excel to be successful. It just has to be itself and the goodwill will follow. And I think, as we've already said, this was the movie we needed this mm-hmm. year. I needed it. I loved it. <laughs> well, it's such a nice wrap up. Look, I'm not far behind you. I'm going to give this three popcorn kernels. I had a really fun time. It was crazy. It was bogus. It was ridiculous, dudes. (laughs) Grab a beer, grab a wine, just sit down with a mate and watch this movie and have a really, really fun time. Bill and Ted Face the Music is in cinemas now. So let's talk about The New Mutants now, which has been out in cinemas for a while. This one was a long time coming, wasn't it? (laughs) It was. I think they filmed this in 2017. It had probably four release dates, if I'm counting correctly. I think it was. Mm. And here we are. We're in September. We finally got it. (laughs) We're bringing a review. (laughs) And it almost feels like an unbelievable situation to be. We've been talking about this movie since we Mm -hmm. kicked off the podcast 18 months (laughs) ago. I think so, yeah. (laughs) So the story focuses on five young mutants just discovering their abilities while held in a secret facility against their will. And it's about their fight to escape their past sins and save themselves and learn how to control their powers. Now, in the X-Men comic movie world, Mm. this is not a new concept in terms of story. Oh, God, no. We have seen this story, this premise, these environments of people in an institution time and time again you think even outside the superhero genre girl interrupted one flew over the cuckoo's nest you've also got the breakfast club which was you know inspired by in a way of young teens and ultimately if i was to give like my little headline insight straight Mm. out of the gate like it didn't really give anything new it didn't try anything didn't test the genre or, or or how it was trying to tell that story the new thing here or the new twist is that it's a horror take on the X-Men franchise. Did you feel like it was a horror, though? 
Well, yes, see, here we go. Now, (laughs) let me just (laughs) get myself ready for this. I can see what it was trying to do. It was an interesting concept to turn this superhero genre into a more horror take. And that's what the comics are. They're darker comics than the X-Men. But I wish it would have committed a bit more. Yes. Does that make sense? 100%. It didn't know who it was aiming at. Like, is this a horror for young teenagers because they are teenagers? Or is this a horror aimed at an older audience? Because they also touched on little themes of religion and coming-of-age romance and abuse, I think. There was some, yes. like, child trafficking or sex trafficking going on in there. And, I, yeah. you know, they're touching on all these little subjects but trying to keep it almost PG. I think the movie was rated M. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. The tone and the way that director Josh Boone was trying to achieve just didn't get there. There were so mm. many underlying adult themes like you've already touched on and the area of horror that, you could see he was trying to entertain, but never fully realised. Mm. And it was kind of like it felt a bit cliched. It was just throwing these these characters pitted against each other, teenage mm. angst, all that sort of stuff, not understanding who they are, what's going on around them, leaning into moments of trauma, them trying to find out who they are, and then trying to make it creepy at the same time. Mm. And it just felt really jarring in the end. And the jump scares weren't enough. Well, Lee, I am the biggest wuss when it comes to horror (laughs) movies. And my own shadow frightens me, for goodness sake. And I don't think... We we saw this movie together. You sat next to me. Did I jump once? No. Like, that is saying something like, mate, it's a creak, a door creak, and I'm calling 911 or triple (laughs) zero. Like, this movie did not frighten me. And I think I wanted to be frightened, as scared of horror movies as I am... Mm -hmm. I kind of get a thrill out of being terrified. And I just didn't get that from this movie. And I thought that was really disappointing. Do you think that came down to the character design in terms of the horror aspects of that? I found them a little bit silly. Yeah, they were a bit silly. I feel like it also took too long to understand who they were and what they were about. And you're Mm. about halfway through in the movie before you even got a sense of what their abilities were, and that yep. affected the the pacing and bringing the horror element into it. But on the other hand, I actually made a note mm. that I had picked the twist 15 minutes in. I looked at my watch, 15 minutes it took me, and I knew what was going on. Oh, you should have, like, nudged me in the seat because that pro- might have... <laughs> I didn't want to ruin it for you. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I can never see a twist coming. I'm so thick with that, which is good because then I always get surprised. But it didn't... It, even when it was revealed what was going on, I was mm. like, oh... what a shame but you know what okay we expected this movie to not be great because it's been in the works for so long Mm. it had a lot of reshoots even the co-creator of the comics has come out on his facebook page and said that he was disappointed in this take because they've changed the characters he mentioned whitewashing of the brazilian character he mentioned with the exception of Maisie williams Four out of the five characters he was disappointed in that they'd made changes to his characters. Ain't that a kick in the guts? Like, this mm. is the power of bringing original storytellers into the fold. Like, even as a consultant, lean into mm. them, understand the characters more, maybe some decisions that you can make. If you want to make a twist on something, mix it up a little bit for, to make it more relevant to modern audiences. Like, you need to lean into the source material. It's there for a reason. It's great resource use Mm -hmm. it and that's really disappointing that he felt like it 
really didn't get there. But having said all that, I was actually surprised that it wasn't that bad. I'm going to say it wasn't that bad. We are tearing it to shreds. (laughs) But it wasn't as bad as I was expecting. And I wonder if that's because it has been trashed so much in the lead up to its release. Sometimes that makes it easier to tolerate a bad movie when you're already going in with that preconceived notion of, hey, it's really bad. And then you Mm. sit there, you go, oh, actually, that wasn't so bad. You're kind of like desensitized Mm. to, to it. I'm kind of with you. It was easy to sit through. I wasn't checking my watch or anything. Like, mm. it was watchable, but it didn't offer anything exciting or new or interesting. And I think that's a key takeout that it seems mm. like everyone is is taking out of the movie. As you said, I think it comes down to the fact that it was very mixed in tone and direction. There were some advanced CGI effects <gasps> that were really impressive. Mm. But then on the other hand you get B-grade horror tropes and some of the character designs. So there was nods to Buffy in there. There was the psycho shower scene, which was all really nice little nods to classic horror tropes. Yeah. But again, it was just such a mixed bag of stuff that you just needed to pick one and go with it. Yeah, it wasn't focused. And I think that that could be collateral damage of a relatively new director in Josh Boone who had previously directed The Fault in Our Stars, which is Mm. unlike anything that this movie is. Mm. You know, it's a horror superhero movie. Although there was a nice romantic element between two of the characters and I actually found that quite sweet. Yeah, that was sweet. It was a bit unexpected uh, Mm. because I didn't really see it coming, but it didn't feel odd to me. I quite liked it because it was... Mm. It was meant to feel normal, which I think in the relationship that they were trying to portray on screen, it helped. And it was very welcome, Mm. actually, from my perspective, how they how they treated it. So, yeah, you can see that Josh Boone has experience in that area. And that was a nice element of the film. Mm. I do want to go back to your point Mm. about the effects, because I completely agree with you. It almost felt like you were watching two different movies because they Mm. nailed some of those special effects moments. Really creative, really beautifully designed and executed almost flawlessly at times. But then by the same token, at the beginning of the movie, you've got characters running through a forest and it was so clearly green screened. Yeah. It was terrible. Yeah, that's true. I think that might be a result of a pretty undercooked budget. You know, they Mm. they put all their money in certain shots that absolutely look Mm. amazing, but then the rest of the film kind of looks a little bit shit. I think that I think that's the issue with this movie. It's not consistent in any way from an effects mm. story pacing character. Mm. It's kind of like a little bit of a hot mess. What a shame. How many popcorn kernels would you give the new mutants? I am going to give it one and a half popcorn kernels. Like Oof. it was watchable, but I wasn't inspired. I wasn't challenged. So no sequel. You no, think? no sequel. <laughs> no dice. What about you, Lee? Well, I'm going to give The New Mutants two and a half kernels. I think the movie suffered in limbo, unfortunately, but it wasn't as bad as what I expected. Yeah, definitely a product of movie purgatory. (laughs) So that's The New Mutants, which is also in cinemas now. Let's move on to news, Tim. There's a lot of news to get through. There is. Now, look, we love a bit of Tom Cruise news on Popcorn Podcast, Mm. and this one's... I do. This one's coming at you from the set of Mission Impossible 7. Yes, we're up to seven. Can you believe it? (laughs) It's a franchise that just won't die and I don't ever want it to. So the Norwegian broadcaster NRK shared footage of Tom Cruise performing an epic stunt in Norway. Lee, talk us through what this epic stunt was. So the footage is of Tom Cruise 
on a motorbike flying off this ramp into nothingness over a cliff and just dropping the motorbike down below. Now, obviously, he's attached to wires once he gets off the ramp. But, oh, my God, it looked amazing. And then he parachutes. Yeah. Down. You know, even as spectacular as the footage and the stills were that were released, it's his absolute glee on his face when he's on the ground. (laughs) Like, yeah, I'm Tom Cruise and I just did that. Like, he just, he loves what he does. And he brings so much energy and authenticity Mm. and just scale to his movies that he puts himself in the firing line and... We have seen stunt after stunt in this series, and I think this one is going to be, like, one of the standouts. What do you think? Well, he just keeps pushing himself yeah. to his limits and then goes further. You know, oh, you yeah. think you think he can't do anything more crazy, and then off he goes. And also, like, how expensive is this motorbike? <laughs> and how many times do you have to do it? Well, exactly. <laughs> how many? I want to see the stats of how many times he did it, because that mm. halo jump he did in Rogue Nation, he did that like over a hundred times, I think, to get the shots. Yeah. What? Yeah, it was unbelievable. Yeah, he's a fool, but I love it. Lovable fool. (laughs) Now, for all the 1980s babies, Sony Pictures has ordered a sequel to the 1989 comedy Troop Beverly Hills. The original movie starred Shelley Long. I'm going to go out on a limb and say you haven't seen this film, Tim. Uh, Your limb is correct. (laughs) (laughs) So it starred Shelley Long as a socialite determined to prove to her husband she can actually finish something by taking a Girl Scout group on a wilderness trip. Okay, so is Shelley going to come back for the sequel? I don't know. Is she still around? I think she's still around. I just love Shelley. I, I mean, she was in Cheers and a few other things, but one of my favourite 90s satire films is the is the two Brady Bunch movies that they made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and she's in that, and I actually feel like it's time I rewatch them. But, uh, yep. I mean, this sounds fun. So we'll just sit tight, see if she reprises her role. Now, this is huge news this week. In Oscars news, the Academy has announced new inclusion standards for films to even be considered in the Best Picture category. To be eligible in the 2022 and 2023 ceremonies, a film must be submitted with a confidential Academy inclusion form. And then from 2024 a film will need to meet two out of four new standards to be included. Can you take us through some of those standards? Absolutely. Look, from my perspective, this is something that's been a long time coming, so welcome, and an organisation that the world looks at to be inspired by and to have responsibility within our cultural landscape of Mm. filmmaking and beyond. Finally, they're standing up and doing something about it and setting these parameters. So these standards include things like at least one of the lead or main supporting actors needs to be from an underrepresented group and the story needs to center on an underrepresented group, etc. So to address the lack of diversity that we're constantly seeing in our mm. in our films and television. And what's great is that this also extends to behind the scenes in creative development with the heads of departments and other key roles needing to meet diversity requirements too. And another consideration is whether the production offered skill training or internship opportunities to people from these groups. Now, the Academy is also identified what underrepresented groups are considered to be. So Mm -hmm. it's women, it's ethnic and racial groups, the LGBTQ plus community and people with cognitive or physical disabilities. 
this is great. It's going to open up jobs to so many people and just make a more well-rounded industry, I think. Unbelievable. And what this will be, what this will incite is stories that will represent everyone, will represent Mm. us in true, real, authentic ways. And it's not just middle-aged white men pushing their (laughs) agenda. We want to experience stories of the LGBTQ plus community. We want more stories about women and being told Mm. by women in front of behind the camera. We need to be exposed and learn and listen to stories around many ethnic groups and racial groups. So Mm. it's just so important. And I just really happy that this is happening. What's really exciting this week is that we got the first trailer for June. Oofed. This looks amazing. It does. It does. And the fandom was so worried. This has a very, very strong fan base behind it. People who love the um, novel, the sci-fi novel and Mm. the 80s movie original. What did you think of it? Oh, look, it was great. I think it was a very strong trailer. It was like three minutes, which I wasn't expecting. Mm. So they gave us a lot more than I think we were anticipating, despite us waiting so long. You got a real sense of all the ensemble cast. You got a sense of the scale and scope from... The beautiful cinematography, of course, mm. that this movie will will deliver. The set design, the costumes, it's just looks and feels very epic. And it's just got me a lot more excited than I thought I would be. Special effects looked amazing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It did not hold back in delivering a trailer that gets your attention. Closer to home, principal photography for Elvis will finally begin on September 23 in Queensland after lengthy delays due to coronavirus. And Tom Hanks has returned to Australia after, obviously, Uncle Tom was ground zero for celebrity coronavirus cases and he had to leave the country after being in quarantine for a long time. Absolutely. Yeah, he got coronavirus. I forgot that. That seems like Mm. an age and a half ago. Well, that's what shut production down. Well, exactly. And then everything happened around us, domino effect, as we know. Mm. Director Baz Luhrmann, love him. He said, we're back to, as Elvis liked to say, taking care of business. It is a real privilege in this unprecedented global moment that Tom Hanks has been able to return to Australia to join Austin Butler, who's playing Elvis in this film, and to all our cast and crew to commence production. Now, what's also exciting is Nev Campbell has confirmed that she's going to reprise the role of Sydney Prescott in Scream 5. Woo-hoo! This is the third piece in the puzzle. We already had David Arquette on board and yep. Courtney Cox, and we just needed to get Nev on board. Look, I think it was always going to happen, and it just, oh, yes, I'm just like fist pumping the air right now. Like, you mm-hmm. cannot have the Scream franchise without Sydney Prescott. So this is such good news and I'm glad she, she announced it on her Instagram, mm-hmm. official Instagram page, which got me very excited. Tim, I'm devastated. Oh, I'm devastated. Lee, I can't even I, talk about it. I feel really bad, guys. I actually broke this news to Lee. It, I saw it a few hours before I texted her thinking that she'd, <laughs> she'd found out on her own time and I was the bad guy who revealed yeah. what, Lee? What's happened? I don't even know if I can say it, Tim. That's right. Do you want me to take... I can say Could it you? for you. you can't, yes, I, if you can't say that loud. So, Wonder Woman 1984 has been delayed again, guys. It's now slated for a Boxing Day release in Australia. Oh, we were weeks. We were weeks away from this film. I know. I was so excited. It's so disappointing. But, I mean, a Boxing Day release is pretty epic, and I think it's going to do well for the box office returns. Yeah. For, for our international listeners, Boxing Day in Australia is the biggest day to mm. release a film in our market. So, look, it puts her in a spot that Wonder Woman deserves to be in. 
albeit it's still, you know, months away now. I but know. Uh, yeah, which also means we've talked about June in the news earlier. Warner Brothers were releasing June on Boxing Day, so it looks like we'll be moments from hearing its push probably yeah. into like mid to like January, I would assume. I think in America it's actually slated to be released on December 17, so it actually right. might be brought forward. Oh, okay, right. That would that could work, definitely. Mm. Oh, that's good. We'll see. We're all about inserting positive affirmations into the universe <laughs> with film release dates. We would love June to come earlier in our market. <laughs> and that's it for this week, I think, Tim. We reviewed Bill and Ted Face the Music, which we loved, and The New Mutants, which wasn't as bad as we thought, but had some issues. It had some issues. But look, you know, one positive, one not so positive is a great way to round out an episode. So plenty for mm-hmm. you to still see in cinemas, guys. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. If you enjoy our episodes, head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. While you're there, we would love you to rate us and leave a review. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts and iHeartRadio. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.